Hi, everyone. Welcome to this new episode of Luxury Insight Podcast in partnership with FashionNetwork.com. In this new episode, we have the pleasure to welcome Massimo Piombini. Massimo is the CEO of Balmain, the acclaimed luxury house. Massimo will share his experience and vision of the luxury industry, its trends, its consumers, China naturally, and some amazing new projects that you will discover for the first time in this podcast. Hello, everybody. Um, uh, we're here today with uh, Massimo Piombini, who is the CEO of Balma, um, one of the great French couture houses. Uh, Massimo has been CEO for how many years now? Now is uh, we just anniversary two years from uh, April 2017 till now. Uh, Massimo, you came on board when uh, Balmain was acquired by Mehula, the uh, Qatari royal family's investment. Uh, what plan did they want to put in place for Balmain? Uh, they bought the brand at the end of 16, and I started as a board member. Um, the idea was uh, to develop this brand because this brand, when they bought it, had great opportunities. Uh, basically, they there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, untapped uh, business opportunity, like, you know, growing the retail business, developing the accessories, expanding the business in China and Asia overall, uh, and also rebuild the online business. So overall, the brand was totally unexploited, and that's why they bought it, actually. Um, it's a famous couture brand, but there have many, been many famous Paris couture brands that have drifted and disappeared. What do you account to success of Balma? How do you explain it's one of the ones that survived and flourished? Well, first of all, uh, Balmain took a very bold decision a few years ago to appoint uh, a very young uh, new creative director, Olivier Rustenga. When he was appointed, he was 24 uh, the guy is uh, not only super talented, brilliant, and also very friendly and approachable, but he's also probably the first uh, uh, digital designer. He was the first one to open an uh, Instagram account. He was the first one to reach 1 million followers. Now he has 5.5. Uh, and so basically he started, uh, started developing a new language for the Maison. And the language is a language that talks directly to the new, the next generations. So, and and there is a target of customer that everybody wants to approach. For him, this happened naturally, because uh, he's one of them. And so that's the reason why I think now Balmain has not only survived, but Balmain has a bright future in front of uh, in front of her. He's an enormously talented designer who has a quite a rock and roll. Aesthetic, quite high glamour, uh, very modern. How do you deal with him or ask him to respect the DNA of the brand, or do you, you do you just leave that up to him? No, I mean, for so as you said, he has a very specific point of view in terms of uh, positioning of the brand. Uh, is an evolution for sure of what the you know uh, the, the 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 original. Uh, positioning of the brand from Monsieur Perbalman. But even even if Monsieur Perbalman was o- was always a, an innovator, considered an innovator. He is a Olivier is a of course a very modern innovator. 
we have a very open conversation regarding the direction that the brand has to take. He realized that, uh, well, first of all, having a specific point of view, I think, is an advantage. And we are building from this specific point of view. We are opening to new categories, to new price points, to new end uses, to new fittings, without uh, diluting uh, the brand equity that he is creating. So I think it's very nice to work with him because we have a very open conversation about the development of the brand and development of the product. You said that he's, uh, in a way, the first digital designer. He's certainly the the first to really embrace Instagram and social media significantly as an individual designer. Um, How has the digital era impacted Balma? What digital policies have you introduced into the brand? Um, Balma has a very, very big and wide digital audience, both the Balmain Instagram account and Olivier himself. And not necessarily the two uh, audience overlaps. So altogether, we're talking about nine plus plus six million of followers. So for us, uh, the problem when we started working around this brand was not like building a new audience, but was uh, uh, creating a way to monetize the audience. How we can bring uh, such a huge amount of people to buy Balmain because most of them they cannot afford it because Balmain was and still is a very expensive brand. So we are now without, uh, you know, we are adding categories, we are doing new products that will uh, allow people with maybe a less uh, spending opportunities uh, to get close to Balmain. Maybe they can buy sneakers, they can buy jeans, they can buy T-shirts and then they can grow into the brand. And this is something that uh, digitally for us uh, is working very well please consider that 25% of the revenues of the company are coming from online business. Already. Already. That's not just your own online business. No. That's also with the big e-tailers like uh, Net-A-Porter. Exactly. Uh, Our online business counts for probably 5% yeah. uh, of the total business of the company, while uh, the rest of the business online is generated by third parties, onlineers like Net-A-Porter and so forth. Yeah. Uh, the, the big buzzword in the last few years has been millennials, this new generation. How do you see their consumer purchasing habits changing? And what trends do you see in the future? Well, while I believe that uh, the first physical contact with the brand uh. in most of the cases happens in a physical store, uh. the first contact... Uh. Uh, the next generation are probably turning this physical content into digital experience in the second or third purchase. So this has an impact in our distribution strategy because uh, our brand doesn't have a lot of uh, retail stores uh, and we will never have uh, the number of stores that only five years ago we would probably add. Now we are opening uh, 30, 40 stores in key location in a very visible uh, uh, like, street like where like Saint Honore in Paris like Hong Kong landmark like Madison Avenue in New York uh, but at the same time our development will uh, will uh, highly be skewed into a whole a selective wholesale distribution and with selective I mean uh, the one that can give us uh, visibility and a digital experience because now all the wholesalers are turning into a multi-channel uh, experience. Which people are you talking about? Which, which 
can be from the traditional onliners, but also to people like, I don't know, the Sachs or the Neiman Marcus that has a strong business also with Sachs.com, Neiman.com, Hyrods.com. So everybody is now, you know, uh, organizing themselves in order to have both yeah. channels uh, yeah. under control. That's a slightly uh, different business model than the dominant model we saw in the last 20 years, which was top brands building their own boutique and trying to control the retail 70%. Why have you made that change? Well, first of all, what I found was a business uh, that was completely like almost 95% wholesale business. Yeah. So I started from, from this position. Yes. Uh, so in our business plan, we are thinking that uh, at the end of the period that will be 2021 the split between retail and wholesale will be probably 60 40 60 wholesale and 40 retail still wholesale we will have the lion's share of the business yeah. considering that wholesale is now reaching fringes of clientele that will be very difficult for us to reach with our own stores including the online business that they can generate and also today in the market there is an excess of offer vis-a-vis -vis the real demand of luxury good. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, keep building store and investing your own capex yeah. is very risky as a strategy. So I think that in this way, I can grow the business yeah. in a healthy way mm. without putting the risk, too much risk on the shoulder of the investors. Um, the, uh, the other buzzword in the recent past is artificial intelligence and people using algorithms and understanding the consumer. How was data played a role in forming your strategy and, and what way will you use it in the future? Okay, technology yeah. uh, has always been an important and a key word for us, considering our digital you know, uh, background. We are testing an artificial intelligence system to evaluate the efficiency of our Instagram posts. Ah. Yeah, there is a system that, you know... Called... <laughs> iCrystal. iCrystal. That has been developed by a genius guy in, uh, from Albania, but he lives in Italy. <laughs> and this guy is now uh, giving you the opportunity to install a software, a, a intellig artificial intelligence software, that you can communicate with him. Basically, you talk to your computer, you ask questions, and the computer is answering to you specifically on the efficiency of the Instagram uh, uh, activities that you have. And this is giving us a lot of information regarding uh, where you post. Where you post is, I mean, the location of your post is strictly related to the location of your purchases. Huh. The time of the day where your posts are more efficient, meaning when your posts are getting more likes. Uh, the you can geolocate your post in order to have a better result in terms of you know, turning posts into sales. So all this is something that we are evaluating at the moment. We are creating our own system, building on his system. I think we're going to be ready at the end of this year. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's not expensive, actually. This system uh, is very approachable and costs less than 100 bucks per month. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> it's very small. Um, China. Uh, yeah. The great market of today, it's now, for LVMH, it's now practically passed in the United States. For many companies, that is the case. How do you see that development? How do you see consumer chase, uh, taste changing in, in China? How do you use technology specifically for this 
giant new market? Well, first of all, consider that China for us was one of the untapped opportunities because we basically didn't have any business there. And so this is crazy because, as you said, every luxury brand today has like the, the, the majority of their sales coming from Asia, oh, yeah. inbound and outbound. Uh, we are now just started opening stores yeah. here and there, but yeah. still a, a very limited number. But Chinese customers, they love Balmain. Because a lot of Chinese customers are shopping at our Balmain store in Europe. So we are now have a selected, very selective approach as far as opening stores. And we are now developing a, a digital strategy uh, in uh, conjunction with uh, WeChat. So basically you will... You could buy from WeChat soon, yeah. Balmain. And also we are developing uh, an agreement with uh, Pavilion that is going to be the luxury mall inside of Alibaba. It's, ah. a, it's a digital luxury mall. A digital luxury mall. So basically you can buy, I mean, the, the real problem in China and yeah. the, the real opportunity, but at the same time, the real problem is uh, the online business. Because online business in China is huge, yeah. but it has been very difficult for every international brand to do business there. Why? Because they have some barriers at the entrance of this country uh, that are digitally impossible to overcome. And so Netaporte, Farfetch, everybody tried and really never, never succeed. The only opportunity today is to, to, big, a big, to make a big business there, to make an agreement with Alibaba. The Alibaba was always known for, first of all, uh, mass market business and not and counterfeit. Mm. Now they are launching this new digital sh luxury mall called Pavilion, and, uh, and we are considering to join them. And we will be one of the few brands that will sell online through Alibaba in this Pavilion. Oh, wow. And you expect very rapid growth. Let's say that there are two, two opportunities yeah. there. One is the size of the business, and two is the security that you are not buying a fake. Yeah. And yeah, this is very important for China. How do you see tastes changing in China? Honestly, China was always a logo-driven, uh, uh, accessory-driven market. Uh -huh. uh, now they are becoming more and more sophisticated. Uh -huh. They are buying uh, a lot of ready-to-wear also. Uh -huh. I remember in my previous experience in Valentino, because I joined uh -huh. before Balmain, I was in Valentino, Chinese became the first nationality for haute couture. That is impossible to think. <laughs> yeah. You know, usually haute couture was uh, like a very small business reserved to very few uh -huh. people. Uh -huh families from the Western world or Middle East. Yeah. And now Chinese are also becoming an important customer for Couture. So it's definitely evolving and becoming more and more sophisticated. Where do you see the main growth for Balma in the future? Um, I, I, let me preface this by saying, if you're talking about reaching millennials, younger people with less money, you're, uh, and you're saying you're reaching with T-shirts. Uh, Sneakers. Yeah, thing like this, your average price point must be lower. How do you see that impacting growth? Well, first of all, you know, the biggest opportunity for us is to develop the accessories. Yeah. And the accessory means uh, bags, shoes, and, uh, you know, small leather goods, gift, uh, mm -hmm. and also sneakers. Yeah. So that's for us is uh, the uh, most important growth uh, opportunity for the next five years, uh -huh. both in retail and in wholesale. So why, when we fix that, I think I will uh, achieve my goals. Then uh, the second wave of growth uh, 
has to be decided. My first goal is to break this famous uh, $500 million sales. And uh, I, I have a very healthy ready-to-wear business now, both for men and ladies, but I need uh, a strong accessory support. And this is happening. It's happening step by step, but it's happening. So that's it. Um, you work effectively for one of the possibly the richest family in the world. I mean, people talk about Bernard Arnault and LVMH being very rich, but the Qatari royal family logically would be even richer. Uh, does, do you think that makes uh, allows you to have a much more long-term view of uh, and take a, a more uh, rational approach? You're not under pressure uh, to hit numbers and, and flip the company in five or ten years. I wouldn't say so, meaning uh, they are... Uh, they are uh, ultra rich for sure but the way they manage their investment is very uh, disciplined and uh, they have a committee of uh, of professional that are uh, not influenced by the amount of money that the family has but the return on the investment that they made so uh, i am managing my company for sure i I, I have the benefit to build the business uh, thinking about the long-term plan for the business. I'm not under the pressure to deliver like ABDA in the next uh, six months because they have to resell the company. Yeah. That's not our situation at the moment. But uh, I have a business plan with sales and ABDA numbers that I have to reach. And I don't have a unlimited amount of resources in, in my hands. I have... Uh, the possibility to propose important investment yeah. that if they make sense, they will follow up with us. There are millennials listening to this uh, conversation, um, and I'm sure they'd be very curious to know how you become the CEO of a top <laughs> 20 or 50 uh, luxury <laughs> brand in Paris. Tell us a little bit about your uh, Myself? career path. Well, first of all, I'm 59, so okay. I, I'm, I'm not a young kid. Uh, I've been working in this industry since uh, the beginning of my... Actually, I had my first years after the college and after the yeah. MBA, I work in finance and marketing. Uh, yeah. But then uh, since 30 years, I'm working in the luxury industry. And I work for Bulgari, for Gucci, and now for the Mayula Group. Yeah. Okay, I've always been uh, following the commercial part of the business. Yeah. And then I started having uh, not executive board members role in the companies of, uh, of uh, Mayula. Uh. And then um, they knew that I wanted to uh, grow. And uh, as soon as they, uh, they got the opportunity, they offered me the opportunity to be CEO of Balmain. Because they knew that from Valentino, I couldn't go anywhere uh, staying in Valentino. So as soon as they got the opportunity, they offered to me. And I was very pleased. Yes, of course, my whole is other big investment, most significant, is Valentino. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time when they bought it, we don't know the exact price, but it was something like 750... 720 million euros. 720 million euros. Uh, and that was something like nearly uh, three or four times the annual turnover of the company at the time. No, it was uh, twice the annual turnover and was uh, probably 15 times the ABDA. Okay. But people thought they'd paid quite a high price. There was a bidding, not a bidding war, there was a sealed... Bids for the company, if I remember, and I disagree. By the way, you did. You don't think you paid a high price? No, no, with, no. Because, with hindsight, yeah. No, because from inside, yeah, we knew that the process of repositioning the brand was well advanced. Yeah. Uh, the accessory because you worked for Valentino before me yeah, I worked for like, since from 2008. Okay, so you uh, were there three or 
The company was bought was sold in 2012. Yeah, okay, three or four so years. Four before. years. Yeah, yeah. Right. And in this four, uh, four year before Mayula, yeah. we fixed the retail business, we fixed the accessories, we fixed the organization of the company. So when they bought it, they bought something that was already working. Uh-huh. They accelerated the growth of yeah. the company. Yeah. But the stage of the, the company when they bought Valentino was very different from the stage of the company when they bought Balmain. Okay. Balmain, they bought like Valentino four years before. Okay. So they almost bought an empty shell with a great designer, a great name, and that's it. Yes. In, in many ways, they were buying the designer because he had such Positive reviews. He had such impact. He was dressing major stars. Yeah. And also the business he was, was super young. Yeah. So with a great uh, future in front of him. What do you think you've brought to Balma? I think that my, my I don't know, maybe you should ask this question to somebody else. But uh, <laughs> I think that we brought some um, discipline, oh. some organizations, mm-hmm. some methodology, yeah. some procedure. Mm. And obviously, on top of this, a vision. And the vision was uh, impacting distribution, product, and uh, communication, the three major drivers for growth. This is what uh, I think I brought. I also brought uh, with me, or I built in these two years, a great team. Now I think uh, I have uh, just completed uh, the first line of reports, and I have a great team working for me. So we are now organized uh, to hit... uh, very important results uh, without uh, changing my team. Okay. I have good talents with me. Do you? Um, it's kind of remarkable if you look at history in, uh, of fashion in the last 10 or 20 years, certainly since 2008 when the crisis hit, and economies since then, many of them have had slow growth and many industries have, our own industry, the media, has gone through a terrible crisis that uh, luxury has boomed throughout this and uh, has grown at double digit. It's apart from Silicon Valley, it's one of the few industries that have had. How do you see that progressing in the future? You know, the growth of the industry, in my opinion, came mainly for, uh, uh, because new geographies and new nationalities arrived into the business. Because uh, the big development that the Asian market had uh, in these last 10 years uh, was uh, the major element of the growth. Now, we still have a growth. It's more moderate versus the past. It's still working. I mean, there are still companies like, look what Gucci did uh, in the last three, four, five years. And and they were starting from a very high base of 3 billion euros. So there are still huge growth opportunities accordingly to the quality of your job. If you do a good job, if you speak the right language, if you de- deliver the right product, uh, every brand can make it. Oh. I mean, and especially my brand uh-uh. that has, uh, is one of the most wanted brand in the market, is uh-huh. one of the most visible brand in the market, yeah. is one of the most or the coolest brand in the market, thanks to Olivier mainly. Yeah. Uh, but still, uh, we were not able to transform this into business so far and this is happening now because the brand is growing 20-25% years on years since the brand was bought. So as soon as the accessory will kick in you and I we will celebrate uh, around the bottle of wine uh, a big big growth. In the hotel cost. <laughs> um, this week uh, for once in Britain the conversation is not about Brexit it's about Extinction Rebellion about 
you know, a, a mass movement about the environment. And it's a, it's a growing global concern. And it seems very much a big concern for our, our, the generation millennial, much more than our generation, and happily so. What are you doing to address that issue of sustainability in, in fashion and luxury? Well, uh, they say that there are two major trends uh, for yeah. the next generation. Yeah. One is sustainability, oh. and the second one is fitness. We can also talk about fitness. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, but, but as far as sustainability, uh, I mean, we just hired the uh, – I, I don't even have a, a, a title for her. Is She will be the head of the sustainability for Balmain. She will join us in a month. Consider that for me – when I joined the brand, the brand was like, as I told you, an empty box. Huh. So we need to literally build department by department from scratch. Yeah. And now is the time of the sustainability. So we hired this woman that was the head of sustainability for Chanel. Huh. So she's starting with us. And she will organize all the operations around the idea of sustainability. But I just want to say something. Sustainability is not just about the way you do your product. Yeah. Sustainability is about is a culture. So she will have a, a cross-functional role together with the HR also because we want to have a sustainable culture also in the company. The way the quality of the life of people working at Balmain has to follow this sustainable approach. So I'm really very keen to do that. So it's not about like, okay, producing your leather in a very sustainable way or using certain kind of, uh, you know, colors that are like not very chemical driven or whatever. It's also the quality of our life in the company. You want to join us because we have a very healthy and sustainable way of working together. And this looks like an abstract concept, but it's not. I have interviewed hundreds of CEOs in my time. At my age, I'm 63, a little bit older than you. And I would say, almost without doubt, that you're probably the fittest CEO that I've. <laughs> so you have a second life. You have a, an evening job. Can you tell our audience about that? Well, uh, my passion has always been, since I was a kid, that sports and fitness. And so finally, a couple of three years, no, three years ago, I, I realized my dream. There was to open my first uh, gym in Italy. And now we have two in Milan and we are opening in Paris. I have the owner of the license for Barry's Bootcamp in Italy and France. I imported the, the concept from the United States uh, and, uh, and a bunch of, uh, with a bunch of friends and partners. And we are now uh, really uh, experiencing a very strong success in this. How, how does its concept different from other gyms? First of all, you don't pay any subscription fee. You pay if you use it, and this is the first thing. Yeah. Second, are only classes that you can have in a, in a room that we call uh, La Chambre Rouge, la, the red room, uh, where there is music, uh, trainers, and you work out for an hour like going to a party. For you, just you don't re- I mean, you finish the hour and you don't realize that an hour passed because you have a lot of fun working out together with people, with a trainer. And then there is the overall experience, the sense of community, the sense of belongings to this kind of concept that is really, you know, is really uh, giving you a concept of being good and feeling good. It's a boutique business. It's not a big 
gym. It's only four, five hundred square meter. Uh, the boutique fitness is the future. The big surface are suffering. The the boutique the boutique fitness is the future for the fitness. So we are having a lot of fun and we are enjoying a lot of. Uh, uh, positive experiences. Just, just so our audience know, we're here, our podcast is taking place on uh, the Rue Saint Denis in the offices of our podcast partner, Luxury Insight. And your new Barry's Gym, Barry's Boot Camp, will be located where? Just around the corner, Rue Raymour number? Rue Raymour number 8692. Okay, so right. around the corner from uh, Luxury <laughs> Insight. So all the people from Luxury Insight has to come to work out for us. Okay. <laughs> well, look, uh, it's been fantastic talking to you, Massimo. Thank you, likewise. Massimo Piombini. An Italian who has been a great success story in one of the most French of all Parisian couture brands, Balma. Thank you so much, Godfrey, and uh, I really appreciate this uh, this time together. Our pleasure.